Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Prepare for a scare. It's the Midnight Macabre Podcast. Hello once again, my loathsome listeners, and welcome back to the Old Mill here in Bramshire for day two of the Midnight Macabre Podcast's Halloween special. Remember, we're broadcasting each of our episodes live in addition to darkening your daily podcast feed. So for those of you with the guts, do come join me in the dead of night for an early taste of terror. As always, I'm your host and curator of all things unpleasant, Laura Lampton. And after my first night staying at the Old Mill, I'm pleased to report that I'm still alive and well. That being said, though, I've been looking at some of the quaint old tools they've used for rustic decoration around the place in a very different light. I've added some pictures to our socials if you want to check them out. Now, one thing that always fascinates me about haunted or evil places is that outsiders like me and all of you have a certain perception of a place based on the stories we hear. But what's it like to live here in the thick of it? I approached a few locals on a supply run today and here's what some of them had to say. Can't say I pay it much mind, to be fair. You have to keep animals indoors this time of year, uh, so wrong and about, but uh, it keeps the house prices down, so uh, can't say fairer than that. I actually moved here because of the stories my nan used to tell me about Bramshire. It's just nice to live somewhere with a bit more character, you know? Best we had in the place I used to live was that it had a big waitrose. I kind of hope I'll see something spooky myself here one day. Hey, will you be covering the old Donnelly murders from 1998? Nah, there's no melt going on here other than a bunch of weirdos getting caught up in fairy tales and that. 
Um, we don't need people coming around here and stirring up the local fruitcakes, you know. And I mean, if you ask me, it's best just to leave it be and be on with it and get on with your day, right? Right? Some wonderful northern hospitality on display from my last interviewee there. For tonight's entry, we go back to 1939 to join an innocent child hauled away from familiar surroundings in the city to a whole new way of life in the countryside. In many ways, echoing my own journey here this week. Assuming you consider a never-ending quest for content in any way equal to fleeing the threat of air raids. Adapted from local legend and news reports by John Crinan and performed tonight by Josh Curran, we have The Evacuee of Old Mill Lane. I started coughing again. I had been having trouble breathing ever since I'd arrived in Bramshire yesterday. That's just the city air escaping your lungs, the old woman barks, and cover your mouth if you're going to do that in my kitchen. She'd been sour with me ever since the billeting office had left me at her front door. The officer had called her Mary. She hadn't liked that. Before she let me in, she demanded that I was to use her proper title when addressing her. Mrs. Braithwaite. Mr. Braithwaite wasn't around anymore on account of him succumbing to pneumonia a few years back and I was to respect his memory by using the good name he left behind. Apparently, that respect didn't extend to me. I had never heard her call me William once. She snapped at me. Did you hear me, boy? Answer me when an adult speaks to you. Yes, Mrs. Braithwaite. Sorry, Mrs. Braithwaite. The smell of freshly baked bread made my mouth water even as another rasping cough threatened to escape my lungs. Mrs. Braithwaite busied herself about the kitchen, mixing, kneading, baking. She glared at me standing in the doorway, neither in nor out of the room. I don't need you under my feet, not with all this work to do. You'll be starting school tomorrow, you should be outside. When I didn't respond, she continued, You're not going to make any friends in here. You want my advice? You get out in the sunshine and meet some of the local children before school starts. She lowered her voice and stared at me through her eyebrows. And if you know what's good for you, there won't be a spot on your freshly clean clothes when you get back. Old Mill Lane was a scatter of converted brick houses where the mill, outbuildings and warehouses had once stood. The only original structure now was the mill itself, derelict and in disrepair. I'd seen it from the road as I had arrived last night, and... Even from the safety of the bus, the ancient building had given me chills. Now, in the light of morning, the structure still provided no comfort. Its dark walls seemed to be perpetually in shadow, despite the sun beating down on it. Two local children were standing outside, a boy and a girl. They were playing some sort of game, taking turns to creep up to the mill door, touch its rotten wood, and then run back to a safe distance. I coughed again, and both their heads turned to face me. Hello. The two children stared. I cleared my throat. The tickle felt worse now that I was out in the fresh air. How do you do? I continued. My name is William. Again, neither child spoke. I guessed that they were brother and sister. 
twins, but not identical. Slowly, the boy leaned over to his sister and whispered something in her ear. She giggled. After a moment, the girl took a few steps towards me. If you go inside, I'll let you give me a kiss. I felt my face flush and dropped my gaze to the dirt in front of me. When I summoned the courage to look up, her piercing grey eyes and angelic smile beamed back. It's easy, she said, shielding her perfect face from the sun and looking skywards. She pointed to an elevated opening near the mill's roof where an old door had come loose and was hanging by its hinges. All you have to do is walk up there and wave down at us so that we know you didn't chicken out. I gazed up, transfixed by the inky blackness beyond the door. Is it safe? The girl looked back at her brother. We both did it. How do I know I can believe you? Her face darkened. Are you calling us liars? I was delaying. Deep down, I knew that the decision had already been made. If I didn't complete the dare, then word of my cowardice would spread like wildfire through my new school. Life wouldn't be worth living. The girl watched me think. Don't you want to kiss me? The darkness inside was like a cold blanket thrown over my head. An ominous, pregnant silence stole the breath from my lungs. Goose flesh prickled my skin and I pulled my blazer tight around my neck. I peered into the gloom. Wooden crates were stacked haphazardly about the space. I heard the muffled laughter of the twins outside. It sounded wrong, as if joy had no place in here. I cautiously took a step forward and the old wooden floorboards groaned beneath me. I took a slow, deep breath and coughed again. The air inside the mill was playing havoc with my throat. I needed to get this over with. Stealing my nerve, I strode forward into the dark space, groping in the black until my hand brushed one of the wooden crates. I stopped, becoming aware of a dim light towards the rear of the building. On the floor was a toppled stone wheel. As I approached, I realized the wheel was actually two huge stone rollers that would have once been used to smash and grind the grain when this mill had been active. Now they were dormant, covered in a thick layer of dust. With a start, I spotted a pair of black eyes peering out from a hole in the middle of one of those rollers. A pigeon cooed back at me from its nest before spreading its wings and flapping up into the rafters. My gaze followed the bird as it climbed into the light and above the staircase. Abandoning the huge roller mill and emboldened by the prospect of a kiss from the girl outside, I bounded up the stairs. With every step, the dark building revealed more of itself to me. Dust motes floated in shafts of light from the gaps in the timber roof high above. The space opened up into a small box room in the rafters. I stopped. On the surface of each remaining step was a trail of perfect white footprints leading up and away from me into the attic room. Whoever had left them was about my size and walking in their bare feet. The twins had already been inside. It said so, but I was certain that both of them had been wearing shoes. I bent down to examine one of the prints. It had been left by a foot covered in some kind of white powder. 
I pinched a sample and rubbed the powder between my fingers. I sniffed it and coughed again. It smelled like wheat flour. The pigeon made a cooing sound above me from the top step. What I could see of the room beyond it was empty. I took a tentative step, wincing when the stair protested under my weight, and popped my head into the room. It was clear. Light from the elevated doorway on the exterior wall spilled into the room, illuminating every corner. Now, with my target finally in sight, I darted up the final few steps and marched across the floor to the opening in the wall. I looked down at the street and waved. The twins were gone. My world spun. I felt suddenly and completely alone. It was a good twenty feet down to street level. No way I could make the jump. After groping my way through so much cold darkness, the outside world was now tantalizingly close. But if I wanted to get back outside, back to safety, the realization dawned on me that I would have to go back the way I came. In the morning light, I could see the state of my fine clothes. I was covered from head to toe in dust, flour, cobwebs, and who knows what else. Mrs. Braithwaite was going to be furious. Suddenly, the building shook as a booming, grinding roar reverberated through the floorboards. I stumbled back to the staircase, clamping my hands over my ears as the terrifying sound shook me to my very core. At the base of the stairs, I could just make out the stone rollers which were now spinning maddeningly fast, throwing up plumes of flour and filling the building with the screech of granite against granite. A coughing fit took me as the air turned white. I turned away from the putrid, choking cloud back into the attic. A boy stood there now. His skin was pasty and sickly looking. His hair was a shock of white. I couldn't describe exactly what was wrong with him, but he looked bloated somehow. His appearance brought to mind the time I had discovered a dead dog behind a bin in London. It had obviously lain there undisturbed for some time, and the rotting animal had inflated like a balloon. This boy looked like that. He was standing stock still in the middle of the room, and it looked as if he was trying to say something to me. He reeked as bad as that dead dog, yet I still found myself taking a step towards him. His lips quivered. I took another step, and another. Before I knew it, I was standing right in front of him. His lips trembled. His eyes grew wide. He looked as if he was about to puke. Before I had a chance to step back, his mouth split open with a gasp, and out of his lips exploded a spray of spittle and wheat. (coughs) 
The chunks hit my face and I fell back as more and more of the rancid mixture was forced out of him and fell with wet slaps against the floorboards. I felt the bile rise in my throat as the foul taste of the grainy vomit hit my tongue. I rolled over to wretch myself and found myself face to face with two pairs of legs. The twins were standing there, holding hands as if nothing out of the ordinary was happening. The girl smiled. This room used to be the grain store of the old mill. They'd fill it all the way up. He died in here. She pointed to the ceiling. He was playing on the roof, and he fell through. That much grain is worse than quicksand. You can't get out. And when it gets into your mouth, you can't even scream. You can drown in grain just as easy as you can in water. She looked over fondly at the standing corpse. They didn't find his body until the search had already been called off. All that time he was right there with them, in the bread they ate. With an almighty crack, the roof above us exploded inward, and a torrent of grain smashed into the top of my skull. buckled as wheat quickly covered me, but the girl picked me up as if I weighed nothing. The room filled, passing the level of my waist in seconds. I strained to move, but the weight of it all held my legs tight. It reached my stomach, my chest. You're one of us now. You've made it to the window just like we dared you to. Time to collect your prize. She pulled me close to her face. I realised with horror what she was about to do. Her lips parted to show me a mouthful of rotten grain. I tried to scream as she clamped those lips across my face. I felt the toxic mixture push into my mouth and down my throat. I coughed and choked and tried to fight back, but her strength was inhuman. We kissed as the grain rose up past our necks and covered our faces. As my world went black and the wheat filled my ears, as my limbs grew tired, struggling against the oppressive weight, as I died, we kissed. It was three months before police found William's body, along with the remains of several other long-missing children in the derelict mill. His disappearance was initially chalked up to the boy having run away, delaying the search. No one was ever charged, but Mary... I mean, Mrs Braithwaite thought long and hard about making use of the old grain stores for her unrationed baking supplies. Well, that's our story for another evening. If, like me, you expect to wake in a cold sweat later, gasping for air and with the feeling of icy hands pulling, maliciously dragging you downwards to crushing depths, your fate sealed, unescapable, inevitable. Well, if that 
does happen, then of course you should tell me all about it in a five-star review on your podcast application of choice. Thanks again to all of the supporters that made this Halloween special possible. And I'll catch all of you ghastly lot tomorrow. The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane is produced by Hawk and Cleaver and stars Emily Booth. Editing by Carl Hughes and directed by me, Andy Conduit-Turner. Tonight's episode, The Evacuee of Old Mill Lane, was written by John Crinan and performed by Josh Curran. Music is by Sergei Cheremisinov and sound effects from freesound.org and zapsplat.com. The entire series is produced under a Creative Commons license, which of course means don't sell it, don't edit it, but go ahead and share that as much as you please. Join us again next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.